we are going to uh, continue our study. We're looking at habits uh, this morning, and um, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 19 is our launch pad into this uh, uh, Sunday school uh, quickly, because uh, we try want to cover a lot of ground this morning. Uh, we uh, understand that we are creatures of habit, uh, that we are not just willpower. We are not just a product of decisions. And we understand that uh, your will is important. God gave you a will. You have the ability to make decisions. And I have preached on this, that we are not just uh, products of our environment. We are not just uh, a bundle of DNA and, uh, you know, genetic code that has decided what kind of person you're going to be. Uh, we understand that. Uh, uh, Gilbert, why don't you go ahead and get us started. Luke 4, 16 through 19 uh, this morning. Go ahead, brother. And he came to Nazareth, for he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Elias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath another me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so uh, what we are looking at is that in this uh, passage of Scripture, we see a couple of things unfold here in that, in that man is not just uh, uh, free will. You don't wake up in the day and every decision has to be made fresh every single day. The truth is that many things that we do, we do because they become habit to us. We become a pattern to us. I said last week, uh, for Sunday mornings, uh, for uh, most of us here today, you're here not because you had to wrestle with yourself over every decision. Uh, you know, when you got up in the morning, you didn't say, okay, do I, uh, do I put my leg out first or my arm out first? What do I do? You didn't rest. You just did what you always did. When you got uh, uh, dressed today, uh, I'm sure you didn't stand there and decide what you were going to wear and go back and forth. I'm just kidding here. <laughs> Every husband is like, <laughs> you know, man, you know, just, just grab the first thing that's that, you know, anyway. But uh, the truth is that we just follow these habits, these patterns uh, that are there. The road you came to church today is the same road you come every day. The time you got here, uh, for many of you, is the time you always, and, and you're, 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 these are just habits that are inside of us uh, and that are, are part of who we are. And so we, uh, we looked at that, and then uh, in our text, we find this manifested in two ways. One is the Lord Jesus, as his custom was, was in the synagogue. That means that this was who he was, the word there. Ethos, it's the same word for ethic, the word we use, even the ethos meaning something that is ingrained in us. It is our perspective, it's how we look at things, it's inside of us. We all are governed by a certain ethic of how we look at life. That's what uh, the word means. Jesus, his ethic was to be in Sunday school or to synagogue and to be there and do what he always had done. Then we find the absolute contrast to that, and that is in his ministry, he describes setting at liberty those 
who are captive and those who are oppressed. And so here we find another reality of habit. Habits can be good. Habits can be an ethic, something ingrained in us that is positive and healthy and necessary. But at the same time, habits can be uh, a way of bondage and oppression and captivity. And I don't have to tell you that. People that are bound by habits like smoking that are going to eventually ruin their bodies or uh, habits of drug addiction or alcoholism or any number of habits that this is ingrained in them. There are many people, they wake up every morning, the first thing they do is reach for their cigarettes or reach for their bottle or begin thinking about how they're going to score uh, some drugs or whatever it happens to be that uh, this same part of our nature that God made us this way can be both good and and bad. Uh, uh, Put up the quote, I used that from Clovis Chappelle last week. Uh, that is uh, worth looking at. Uh, I don't know if you're able to track that down. Uh, but Clovis Chappelle made a very, very good uh, statement, and I put it up there last week briefly. He said, up, uh, oh, that's further down, just after Luke 4.18. He said, the next one. Yeah, they go, these poor guys, I keep them running around. Clovis Chappelle, I'll go ahead and just tell you it. He said, it's easier to find a man who never sinned than to find a man who never sinned twice. That this is is the reality. And that is that habits or deeds can become habit-forming. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at with you momentum because when you start looking at the issue of, of habits uh, what we, we have to understand is that our choices create a momentum and when you talk about habits it's the idea that making a decision makes it easier to make the same decision again and again and again and every time that we make a particular choice the second time we come to that crossroads, it's easier to take the previous road we've already taken, even if we say that may not have been the best road. Now, you do that over a period of time, you end up getting yourself into some trouble. Uh, I have an interesting study done by the University of Pennsylvania. I don't know if I, I put this on the list here. But in the, this uh, University of Pennsylvania study of 164 eighth graders, found that kids who had good habits, studied, watched less TV, did homework, showed up to school every day and on time, scored higher on college entrance exams and were accepted into top universities more than kids who scored higher on IQ tests. And so they were were interested as they followed these eighth graders, they began to look into their lives, study uh, how these kids functioned in life, and, and then as they follow these kids into, um, thank you, as they follow these kids into, uh, through high school and into their college years, they found that a, 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 the number one predictor of, of being accepted into good colleges was not your intelligence, but your, but your habits. 
wasn't, it wasn't how sharp you are. It wasn't uh, how quick your mind works. But it's the idea that if you could put into somebody or somebody could develop some good habits, they were down the road much more likely to excel. Because this is something that is in us. Because when you begin to make decisions, you create a momentum in that direction. And, and so uh, we want to talk about that. William James said, all of life, so far as in its definite form, is a, but a mass of habits. Okay. And that they play a much larger role in our lives than I think we sometimes understand or give it credit for. And so we're going to talk about the human personality. And I've got a lot of scripture, so I'm going to need your help this morning. And because there's so much, we really got to move. And so if you get a verse, have that ready to go. Because we gotta, I want to follow a, a particular individual in the Bible and kind of see this idea that a decision gets repeated over and over and over again if we're not careful in life. So if, if we'll start over here on this side. Jim, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Amy, John 8.34, Gilbert, uh, Job 15.16, Zach, 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 22. Uh, Miguel, 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. Uh, uh, I need 1 Samuel 15, 9 through 15. Uh, Art, 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 23. Rick and uh, Andy, 1 Samuel 18, 7 and 9. 1 Samuel 18, 29. Doris, 1 Samuel 19, 9 through 11. Uh, Brother Chapoy and Judy, you get 1 Samuel 22, 16 through 19. Uh, Lupe, 1 Samuel 24, 16 through 22. And Ashley, 1 Samuel 26, 1 and 2. And then a couple more, 1 Samuel 28, 7 through 9, Josh. And then Daniel, 1 Samuel 31, 4. Okay, let's, we got to get through these this morning. So we're talking about human personality and remember, man is made up of three dimensions. They, they, the term, uh, the, the $10 term is man is a triune being, just as the, we, we know that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man is made up of three dimensions. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We are spirit, soul, and body, and I don't want to get all into that but the idea there is that there's all kinds of things moving inside of the human personality that are affected by our by our soul that part of us that is in eternal it is that the heart it's who you are our uh, spirit we are affected by moods we are affected by our environment and the things that go on around us other people's spirit all kinds of those factors uh, that are emotional and spiritual and we also have a physical body and I don't have to go into all of that but my point is that all of these things are working within the human personality and so what happens when you and I make choices or move in a certain direction these things are all coming into play and and I, I was uh, uh, concerned because you know I'm going to use a lot of different material in this Sunday school and 
uh, behavior experiments. And, you know, these things are not necessarily done by Christians and don't even have a spiritual worldview. But I kind of take the position that all scientists are doing are studying what the Bible has already said. Okay? The scientist is climbing to a mountain, and when he gets to the top, he's going to find a Bible reader up there waiting for him. And so they're looking, and they're understanding these things, and they're trying to say, well, it's because uh, of what's happening in the frontal lobe, uh, or it's, this is a result of evolution and all this stuff. When in reality, we understand, of all people, we understand the principle of bondage and habit and deliverance and freedom. And so they will look at a human behavior. They even carve up a brain and, and say, well, look, there are these physiological signs of this problem. But yet we know that there's a spiritual dimension to all this stuff. And that when people, you know, I physically look different than when I got saved, okay? Now, yeah, that was 35 years ago, but the fact is salvation changed me physically. It set me, it did something that they could have said, well, they could look at, well, look at him, this guy doesn't no longer have long hair, he no longer looks like a Cheech Marin, he no longer uh, uh, reeks of marijuana, and they could look at all that, but, the, but how many know something spiritual happened to me and changed me? And so when we look at these studies and things, we don't want to just say, ah, oh, that's just the world. We don't want to know that because that, that, you know, that's not reality. Uh, but at the same time, we can't say, well, you know, we don't need to know any, uh, you know, this stuff or this is, this, this is an important and so what we're doing is we're using the Bible to begin to understand and to get definition at some of these interesting parts of the human personality. Um, see, we are more than the conscious choices that we make in life. Every decision we make and repeat creates a momentum in that direction, okay? Think about many of you, most of you here are, uh, work on computers and you know that when you work on computers and you're typing that after a while, even on your phone, after a while, your phone figures out what you're going to say before you say it. You know what I'm saying? My phone can spell names of people uh, because I put those names in there that many times. If I start M-A-R, my phone says Marcus. Automatically. Raquel, automatically, my phone knows because I've punched in those names enough times that my phone anticipates. How many know that's why you better read your text before you send them, <laughs> before you launch something that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have done? Uh, uh, you know, and so uh, what happens is that they're, they're, they're understanding th this is how the brain works. In other words, that, that very, very sophisticated uh, software that's inside of that telephone anticipates because it sees what you're going to do and so what it does it says what we're going to do is we're going to streamline the operation we're going to take some decisions out of your hand because you've made that decision over and over again so once you start typing uh, y-o yolanda because you're always you're always texting her 
So we're going to make this thing run more efficiently and we're going to save you all the hardware and all the mental power that you're having to do. We're going to work all this out for you and we're going to economize because you've done this over and over again. Then we're just going to help you out here and we're not going to have to spend as much power and energy and time. And what they're doing is they're mimicking the brain. Because that's, why, that's what I said. That's why when you get up in the morning and you're going to go get ready and all that, your brain says, you, dude, you've gotten up the same way every day for the last 30 years. You don't even have to think about this. I'm going to get you through and you'll probably uh, uh, start using your brain about three miles down the road, you know, then your brain will kick in. And what it's doing, it's economizing. It's just saying this is a more efficient way to operate this human being here, not making you have to make the same decision. And so we're anticipating all those decisions. You're going to do it over and over again. I told you the story I read about a pastor who uh, I read. It's not one of my friends. I read this. But uh, he had the habit of coming to a red light. And if it was early in the morning or late at night and no cars, light would be red and just treated like a stop sign and just drive on through. And he did this always. One day he pulls up in front of a, a red light. There's a police car sitting right there next to him. His brain says, there's a police car. You better wait. He stops, looks around, drives right through the red light. Because his habit, his pattern was so ingrained in him, his ethic, that he couldn't, he couldn't even stop even when he knew he should stop. Because our brain economizes and says, you've done this in the keystrokes, there it is. They say that a train traveling 50 miles an hour takes one and a half miles to stop. That train has enough energy and that, once that energy is moving in the same direction and the longer it goes, the momentum is created and it, it, even when it throws on the brakes, for a mile and a half because of that momentum. So here's life. We create momentum. Having lived a certain way over and over again, people don't understand this when it comes to patterns. I sat down with somebody not long ago and they were very discouraged and at pulling back and, and withdrawing in ministry and, and, uh, and uh, I, I was concerned about them. And in our conversation, this, this, this uh, individual had, uh, had had a real salvation experience as a teenager, served God for a number of years, and then had backslidden, life completely blown up, and, uh, and then a few years later came in here and got saved, and God did a miracle, and got very involved. And, and so as we're sitting here, and, he, and he's going, I said, brother, let me ask you a question. How long were you saved before you backslidden? And I forgot that six years or something, and, and, and then I didn't say it. He said, you know, here I am, six years into serving God, and it seems like it's all happening again. And I said, you understand, there are powerful rhythms, patterns that are created. And every backside I've ever seen is going to always be drawn back into the very same situation again, where they're going to have to exercise their will because the patterns of life, the momentum of life will carry them in the wrong direction. John 8, 34. 
Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Okay, Jesus is acknowledging this. Choosing to sin creates a momentum to sin. Okay, choosing to do wrong creates a momentum so that the next time it's just easier to make that decision. It's easier to make that step. Job 15, 16. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. The Bible says that men drink iniquity like water. I mean, you don't even think about it when you drink water. It becomes so common to you that every choice to sin is not this big struggle to sin. Like, how should I do it? And let's be honest, how many here drank sin like water? Did things, and you were no, it was no longer no pain of conscience anymore. It was no struggle, no second thought, no hesitation. It became that easy to sin. Now, I'm going to ask a question here. There might be two or three of you that maybe been there in life. I don't want to embarrass you. But how many people here used to cuss a lot before you were saved? All right. You didn't even think about it. Amen. You dropped them, and you didn't even realize you were dropping them. Your two-year-old was running around, and you're dropping. You know, I've always, and to this day, I'm still very offended when I'm in a public place, and I see people just cuss liberally in front of their children or men in front of their wives. But there are people, you know, they, they don't even think about it because this habit has become so strong in them it's like drinking water. Now, remember, in Bible days, you didn't walk into H-E-B and have, you know, 400 variations of Coke. I mean, you drank water, and, 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 and every, on a rare occasion, you got to drink a little bit of wine or grape juice. That was it. It was so common, and Job said, man, is so filthy, he doesn't even think about it. The choices he's made has created such a momentum in his life. And he doesn't even, it doesn't even cross his mind anymore. It has become habitual, and you're, it's the idea that every sin is something contemplated and considered, uh, and then you finally go for it. That may be how it starts. The first time you did drugs, or the first time that you decided to be immoral, or the first time you considered, perhaps after being a Christian, backsliding or going into sin, you know, th there was a deep consideration. There was all kinds of, well, I don't know if I should. There's wrestling. But what we're talking about is having made those choices again and again. Now it's not even hard to make those choices. I remember one time I was talking with somebody that had been saved and serving God, and they backslid, gone for a little while, and uh, had come back and wanted to talk to me. And they just kept cussing. And in my mind, what was, what was interesting to me was that it was just how much they had changed. They didn't want to. They knew they were at church. They were talking to the pastor. They wanted to represent themselves. It wasn't that they were angry or anything. But what happened, they had created these habits. And they, even though they knew the setting they were in, they just couldn't figure out how to pull themselves back. Duke University, I mentioned this last week. 40% of our day is run by habit. 40%, they say, of our choices 
are run by habit. They're not even decisions. They're just, just how we do things. Okay, I'm going to get into something here in a minute, but let's stop. Let's open it up here. Brief, brief little comments here. All right, Daniel and Gilbert and Chris. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you were talking about cussing, and um, I remember um, at, the, at the workplace I was there, and um, I told this guy a story, or we were there, and we, we were doing something, and so then I said something, I was like, man, that's dumb, or something like that. So then we went to go eat lunch, and then the guy's like, oh, yeah, he started telling the story to somebody, and he's like, yeah, and then Daniel said, man, that's blank, blank, blank. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't say that, of course, but it helped me to realize that sometimes your habits are your perspectives, so you see everything the way that you, that you would do it. So what he was saying is what he would have said, and um, like you were saying, though, too, is like ha um, habits, they're, they're ingrained in us but also that our ethics are a perspective. So his perspective in life and, his, and the way that he saw things was that's what he would say. That's what everybody would say. So that's what he must have said. Yeah. And I noticed that, that like, I've heard that a few times, like, cause also we have a few Christians that work there and like, oh yeah, man, I remember he was there with us and he said this, this, this. And I was like, hey, you told him this? And they're like, no, of course I wouldn't tell him. But just their mindset is already in that. So then their habits, they think other people do that as well. Yes. Yes, amen. They, to, to those who are defiled is nothing pure. Yeah. Uh, Gilbert. I remember growing up in my adolescent years, going through high school, um, people would cuss around me, and I would say, man, that's pretty bad. And then I joined the Navy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, when I first got in, I heard even the instructors at boot camp were just laying out bombs of all kinds, and I was thinking, God, that's crazy. But then over the, the months and years, I fell into the same habit. So after four and six years, when I came out, that was very, very difficult for me to break because, I mean, every other word was a curse word. And trying to describe things, say, oh, look how beautiful that is. Look how ebony blah, blah, that thing is. You know, it's like, wait a minute, what is this? I, I catch myself saying that. So that was a very difficult habit to break. All right. All right. Thank you for your honesty, Gilbert, there. All right, Chris. Hey Amen. Uh, growing up in church, I've seen this a lot, especially working with teenagers and, and some adults now that were church kids, is that, uh, and this is from my own experience, and I've seen this also in others, is um, you have that besetting sin, that thing that gets you over and over, and you can develop a habit if you don't judge it, and you don't make a, a, a point of your will to say, I will not go down this road again, I'm going to break every tie, I'm going to burn those bridges, and what happens is I see a lot of usually young, uh, coming into like young adulthood, um, church kids or people who were in the church for a long time, incredibly frustrated, thinking they're broken and they can't be fixed because in their mind, you know, they were going to repent and then the, the, um, the want to do that thing or the compulsion to do that, to break that habit of sin they developed in their life was just going to vanish at the altar and they weren't going to have to make a stand and say, I will not do that again and fight that battle. And so they kept losing that battle thinking something's broken in the system you know, as opposed to saying, no, I need to, I'm going to fix myself and set my face against this. I will not do this. And a lot of times when I deal with especially uh, church kids at the altar or whether we're in, in Bible study or whatnot, that's one of the things we have to come against. You're going to have to fight this fight and make this decision to break away for this or it is going to, the devil's going to beat you with this same thing over and over. Yes, amen. Very good. You know, one of the things 
one of the things that we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about breaking habits. And I'll just touch on what Chris is saying is I think this is such a source of confusion and condemnation. And that is that, uh, you know, in our minds, we see it in the context that we're just these uh, neutral human beings. And then the devil comes and tempts us. And, with, and it's a level playing field. And we're like, no, no, no. Okay. And then we're all condemned. And, and uh, you know, and so then we think that the next time it's a level playing field. All right, I've, I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready. And the devil comes. No, no, no. Okay. And, 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 and then the next time it's, you know, no, okay. And then the next time it's okay, okay, okay. And, and what we don't understand is that rea- the choices, many times you're playing on the devil's home court. All those choices have created a momentum so that the next time it's going to be that much easier. And the reason why is it's, it's not just spiritual, but oftentimes it's physical. That you have created a momentum in your body or you have trained your body just like you can train yourself to get up every morning. Can you say amen? You can train yourself to sleep in every morning. And these things, uh, it's the devil. I don't know, I pastor, it was a spirit of slumber it came over me. Uh, and uh, and, and we, we, we say all that, but the reality is it's not that. It's just that we're a bundle. We're soul, spirit, body, and all of these things are working together. And you create these things. And so you, you have trained your body a certain way. And it's so that by repetition now, the keystrokes, you just have to, t- well, well, and it dispels the word. You're already there. And then what's wrong with me? I'm demon possessed. I have all these problems. Well, no, no, no. It's just that this, you got to have honest look. This is where I'm at as the result of all the decisions and choices that I've made have created and brought me to this point. Okay, let's, what we're going to do now is I want to look at a tragic Bible figure. This is not a positive story. It's a negative story. But I want you to see the descent into madness of King Saul because what I'm attempting to do here is just look at how one decision made it easier to make a second decision and a third decision and unfortunately there's no nothing redeeming in this story but it's there in the Bible to help us understand this process about having made a step just makes it easier to make the next step and the next step. And it's almost like we begin going downhill where one step after another becomes faster and faster and faster because of it, not just because of just some uh, dynamic of the spirit world, but the way God created us to say, okay, my decisions matter. First, okay, so get ready. Let's make sure our... our, uh, Microphone men are ready and in shape. Let's move through this quickly. First Samuel 10, uh, 20 through 22. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clean, uh, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken, but inquired further of the Lord, Has a man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So first thing I want you to see about, about King Saul is his coronation day. He is about to become the first king of Israel. And the Bible says when they wanted to coronate him or crown him, 
They couldn't find him. And God had to speak up and say he is hiding or hidden among the equipment. That Saul was what we could call, there was a reluctance in him. I mean, from the, our, our first picture of him is a picture of reluctance. He's actually hiding at his own coronation. He, he, in other words, uh, he, doesn't, he hasn't embraced this. He hasn't identified. He hasn't sensed his calling. He hasn't surrendered something. I know that we interpret reluctance as humility. The aw shucks, bashful, uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart type of personality. You know, I, 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 you know, I, listen, reluctance can be a, a, a subtle form of uh, uh, disobedience. The modern term is passive aggressive. Ah, you know, no, no, I can, no, yeah, it's okay, no, no. Because you want to be begged. Okay, ministry and calling is not something that we're supposed to, oh, you know, I don't, listen, if God before you, who can be against you? If God's called you, then he wants you to do it. But you find that this became full-blown as life would go on, but it began right there at that time where the prophet anointed him and, and God moved But at that, in the, those very beginning. And you could have looked at it and said, oh, you know, what a humble guy. He's hiding among the equipment. To go get him and oh, okay. And then, oh, all right, go ahead. You know, all right, you know, who am I? I'm just a worm. Oh, he's such a humble fellow. But it really wasn't that, was it? It's called disobedience. Next verse. 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 14. And so this takes place two years later now. Go ahead. 1 Samuel 13. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and he might, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I, have, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Machash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly, and you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded. For now the Lord will have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander of all his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. So the second story is a couple years later, they're about to go to battle. And before going to battle, they want to offer a sacrifice. And Samuel is the priest. And Samuel says, all right, I will meet you on this particular day and we'll do the sacrifice. And then you guys will go to battle. So the day comes and the enemy is gathering. And so, uh, uh, you know, thinking and just in terms of pure war strategy. 
They've got to start setting themselves array. They've got to get ready for this conflict. And the Bible says that uh, Samuel doesn't show up. And so Saul just said, well, you know what? Uh, we've got to do something. And so Saul goes and offers up the sacrifice. Now, we know that clearly that's a violation. He is not a priest. He is not supposed to function in that office. But Saul does it anyway because he's profane. And in Saul's mind, dude, you were late. And so therefore, because you were late, I can do this. He does profane, just, he just takes holy things lightly. He doesn't understand the sacred. He doesn't see the big deal in it. In his mind, uh, Samuel has, uh, you know, if Samuel was late, he shouldn't have been late. And I agree, it's not good to be late. But how many know somebody's tardiness doesn't give you permission to do the wrong thing? Somebody else's disobedience never gives you a license to do what is wrong. But, you know, you could even, again, you could say, well, I mean, okay, he was reluctant. You know, uh, Samuel was late. The people were getting scared. I, he did what he had to do. You know, we, we, well, okay, it was bad, but I mean, come on, it's not that bad. I've seen worse that he would offer the sacrifice and, you know, okay, he, he's culpable but he's not entirely culpable you know these other guys could have uh, done something uh, uh, Samuel would have you know contributed to this and you know he bears part of the and on and on and say well it's not that bad but but what we're looking at is how a step can lead to a second step and it just begins to take you down a road so then we uh, move along now and we go to our uh, next verse of scripture first Samuel 15 9 through 15 but Saul and the people, wait, but Saul and the people spared Og and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, "I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments." And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was, to it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you th of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear and Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord God your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed so so now we look and we begin to see uh, something else working in him because later on, God says, I want you to go and I want you to fall upon Amalek and I want you to utterly destroy them. And uh, uh, whether you like it or not, he said, I mean everything, including their animals, including their pets, everything. I want this entire civilization wiped from the face of the earth. 
This has to do with something that happened way back in Exodus 17 when the people of God were very first coming out of Egypt in the wilderness and they were ambushed by Amalek and, and God said, I will have war with Amalek unto every generation. And so now that they have established their very first kingdom, he says, this is one of the first orders of business. I want you to fall upon the Amalekites and I want you to destroy them completely, including their livestock. And so the Bible says he doesn't do that. Instead, uh, when they fall upon him and they defeat him, the Bible says that he spares the king and he begins to spare the best uh, of the uh, livestock to, quote, offer to the Lord. And what's scary is that when Samuel comes to him, he says, I have fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. He hadn't fulfilled it. It was clear, but in his mind, he has fulfilled the commandment of the Lord uh, and uh, what he has done is he has decided to spare King Agag uh, because now he's viewing himself as a head of state and he wants to kind of, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, reach out now. He wants to build connections to other kings and other, other, other uh, kingdoms that are there and uh, he, saved the, the, he says, I saved the best of the livestock to offer to the Lord which you have to understand, they would offer to the Lord, then they would get to eat the meat. This was a way to curry favor with the people. In fact, when he's confronted by it, he blames the people for this. But what we see here is we're beginning to see something else begin to work in him. Here's a, here's a pride. I know, I, you know I, I, I know I've obeyed God and you know, God spoke to me and I fulfilled the commandment of the Lord and, and, and God is helping me. And you're, you're seeing this step by step by step. And the momentum is gathering in this man's life, choice after choice, and it just gets easier to make another bad choice. We pick it up, 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 23. So Samuel said, where were you little in your own eyes? Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and the fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and best of things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in the burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Rebellion. You know, at first, Saul gets his back up when he's confronted by uh, Samuel, uh, and uh, he, he begins to 
uh, defend himself. Um, and uh, he says, uh, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, uh, but the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And so you need to understand that when Saul says this, he's not saying this now with humility. You know, I, just, I did do it. No, no, no. Hey, I did do this. Uh, and we brought this up to sacrifice the Lord, your God. So, hey, you know, he, there's an anger. There's some, he's getting his back up now. He's no longer Mr. Reluctant. Ah, oh, it's not me. I, you know, I, I am, I'm not qualified. Now he's back in Samuel's face. Saying, hey, you know, you know, I have a problem with your God. Your God told me to do this, and look, okay, we didn't do it exactly like you, but we did it, uh, and we're doing all this for him anyway. And Samuel comes right back at him and says, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. And he says, you can dress this all up in religion, pal, but stubbornness and rebellion are driving you. You, this is, you may have shrouded and I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord and I'm doing this to sacrifice. And, and he, you know, he had all the religious verbiage, but driving this was nothing more than pride and rebellion and stubbornness. As you begin to see those steps, begin to gather momentum. Let's move along quickly here. First Samuel 18, 7 through 9. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Okay, verse 10 through 12. First Samuel 18, 10 through 12. And it happened on the next day that the, distress, that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand and other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. First Samuel eighteen twenty nine. Did I give that up? I've got it. Um, and he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Okay. Then so, so, so let me just mention this real quickly here. And so now we see another facet. Envy and jealousy. The Bible says that David begins to emerge, um, and Saul sees that. He has begun to be popular among the people, and uh, he, he uh, eyes David. The Bible says uh, that he became David's enemy continually. So we see this descent now as when, when he, he moves in this direction, now all of a sudden he is looking at uh, one that God has anointed, helped, separate, and now he looks with, he's driven by envy and jealousy. First Samuel 19, 9 through 11. 19. First Samuel 19. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow will be killed. Okay, the other thing is we see now another feature, and that is torment. Twice the Bible says a distressing spirit came upon King Saul. David was an anointed musician, and so when, David, when Saul was tormented by spirits, uh, they would bring David in, and he would play, and his anointed music would soothe his spirit. And, uh, and one day, he, David was in there, and Saul, David has no idea that Saul is filled with jealousy and envy towards him. And while David's playing, he picks up a spear, and he just launches it at David. Bam! It misses him. This man, a torment began to get a hold of his life. Now he's tormented. So you see this progression down, this downward spiral, reluctance, profanity, pride, rebellion, envy, and jealousy, torment is operating inside of him, 1 Samuel 22, 16 through 19. We, we lose that one. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled, and he did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests, and killed on that day eighty-five men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Okay, this guy, Doeg's a creep. You do not want to be a Doeg. So Doeg uh, goes and reports to Saul that when David ran away after he tried to kill him, he went and he went to, to Nob. And when he was there, uh, he said, you guys have a weapon and they said, we have, well, we actually have Goliath's sword if you want it. And David thanked him, took some bread, and fled. And Doeg is the one who said to Saul, hey, David was in the pre- went to Nob. So Saul's army goes to Nob looking for David, uh, and the priests are not cooperative. And so Saul, now so tormented, orders the slaughter of 85 priests. It was so outrageous that his own servants, when he ordered them to kill the priests, they wouldn't do it. And so Doeg had to do his dirty work for him. But now we add another feature to this man, murder. We're talking about habits, how life creates a momentum. Decision after decision creates a momentum. 1 Samuel 26, 1 and 2. Now the the Zephites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of... I would say a hill around here, but we don't have any. Uh, It's okay, just go on. Apposite Jisham? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel to him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Okay. 
uh, for time, I'm having to just jump here a little quick. Uh, I wanted to show you one other thing uh, that the Bible says that when uh, Saul chased David, one day David and his men are hiding in a cave and Saul goes in to go to the restroom and he doesn't know that David and his men are surrounding him and David's men are saying, you know, kill him. God's put him in your hands. If you kill him, you'll be king. And David won't do it. And when Saul leaves the cave, David follows him and says to him, confronts him and says, listen, I could have killed you. I don't want to harm you. You're the king. I don't want to harm you. This, if, if I wanted to kill you, I could have. And, and David's trying to reason with an unreasonable man. Saul cries and weeps, David, you're more righteous than I, and on and on and on. Uh, and, and he says goodbye, and David immediately goes back into hiding because he knows Saul's words aren't worth the paper they're printed on. And the very next chapter is right here where the Bible says that after all that crying, he's back out looking for him again. See, the dangerous thing about habits is that you can find yourself crying, you know, God, I messed up. Oh, God, I, I'm so bad, my attitude, God. And, and immediately go right back to the same thing. No repentance. Uh, okay, two more real quick. First Samuel 28, 7 through 9. Then Samuel said to the servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul di disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a uh, seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spirits, spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Witchcraft. The Bible says he is going to war. God won't talk to him. And so he turns to a witch, disguises himself. And then when he goes to the witch and says, will you conduct a seance for me? She says, I can't because King Saul has outlawed witchcraft in the land. What a terrible thing to be confronted with your own standards. What a terrible thing to live your life and then someone to come back at you and say, no, no, I don't do that because you said not to do that. Last one. Go ahead. I don't remember uh, who got the last verse. I think it's then, Daniel. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. It ends in suicide. This descent started just hiding in the, in the, uh, among the equipment, choice after choice after choice after choice. All right, next week we're going to talk about breaking bad habits. Lord bless you.